Hey everyone, welcome to Grubstakers, the podcast about billionaires. This week we're covering the deformed face of Sheldon Adelson. Find out how the boy from Dorchester became a casino mogul profiting off the addictions of millions, who also steals from his own children and uses his own media companies to punish those he dislikes. All this and more coming up on Grubstakers. Get lost, please. Thank you. I can tell you that every job has its ups and downs, and a union can't change that fact. I mean, it is the magic elixir of our of our age and of all ages. What it does for prostate cancer is amazing. You get $200 million profit, and you didn't have to pay any tax. Isn't that true? Listen, it's, it's Is that fine. true or not? It's, yes or it no? It is. You do not pay a profit when someone, a, a, a tax when someone Maybe makes you sell assets. For you become Secretary of Treasury, so you didn't have to pay the tax there. Oh. <laughs> and five, four, three, uh, two. Not like we have a deadline or anything. Hello, welcome back to Grubstakers, the podcast about billionaires. Uh, I'm Sean B. McCarthy. I'm here. I'm joined by my friends. Steve Jeffries. Yogi Polywell. Andy Palmer. And uh, you know what? We're recording here St. Patrick's Day, 2019. 12.51 p.m. <laughs> there's nobody we would rather want to be talking about this week than... Uh, and a man named Sheldon Adelson. Bazinga. That's right. That's right. Sheldon Adelson. Bazinga. And look, we had to get this episode out uh, because Sheldon Adelson will be dead soon. <laughs> <laughs> we have a strict deadline that Bazinga. he could die at any point during this recording. So, we, so we have to get this episode done. Wait, now hold on. It's one yes. of the most optimistic takes of 2019. <laughs> <laughs> hold on. Now, I, I think before we, before we go into this uh, mobility scooter diarrhea machine... <laughs> Uh, we, he's uh, not a machine, Andy. Come on, he's still a human. <laughs> he's he's half half and half. He's a halfsy um, cyborg. Uh, before that, I, though, I think we need to go into some housekeeping because mm-hmm. recently we got in trouble. Uh, we think a fellow by the name of Notch narked on us <gasps> for putting some Drake at the end of an episode about uh, same said narc. But uh, Notch. But he seems so busy. I can't believe he had time to do that in between <laughs> posting 400 times a day on Twitter <laughs> about how we need to talk about IQ differences in racial demographics. Well, I mean, if you play Minecraft, that's all clearly <laughs> in the text. The subtext. In the original text. I mean, why does he got to beef with Drake? They both love kids. I don't see what the problem is. Well, so uh, we realized that as long as we uh, have music mm-hmm. on here, we are vulnerable mm-hmm. to getting shut down. And so I th- my first thought was, okay, well, what if we just kind of replace all the music with covers? And I sure, looked that up. Sure. turns out you can still get your channel, uh, get some strikes against your channel and eventually get shut down on SoundCloud. Thanks, but, thanks for informing our enemies going. But, no, they can't get us because if you do parody... <laughs> okay. That is protected by a Supreme Court decision. Oh, that's mm-hmm. good to know. So covers are out. Uh, but quote parody is in so as long as we kind of switch up the tracks we can have everyone's like favorite songs in as like our outro music so you're saying as long as Andy is high enough when he is playing the music (laughs) (laughs) and messes with distortion effects I'll have you know we can claim that it is parody yes Uh, yes so I I I prepared one track uh, Mm -hmm. for us Um, and we can play we can just play a little bit now and then you know play the whole thing when we do the outro Mm mm-hmm and we think he listened to it and reported it and we had to take it down 
But if you replace the lyrics of a song on SoundCloud, it is protected by <laughs> the Supreme Court as parody. Because you're I know I'm repeating myself. Yes. Kind of creative work for they can't take your tracks down according to law. Chapter one. It's a commodity. Oh my god. <laughs> 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 Turn it off. <laughs> You know what, Andy, I will say it was very brave of you to not pretend you were microdosing when you made that. <laughs> uh, to just admit that's where your mind goes <laughs> when it is perfectly sober. And if you want more of that, we're going to be selling it on uh, iTunes for $8,000. I can't wait for Andy to be completely wrong about the copyright law and, <laughs> and for that to be our second strike. I'll have uh, you know I consulted two whole websites about this. Oh. Mm. Yes, I think that... Uh, and one of them had law in it, and they <laughs> said Supreme Court, and then had a link to uh, the Supreme Court case that, that I didn't click on. That was a law and order so, episode. Sounds like uh, the attorneys that are hired by billionaires will be no match for us. <laughs> and we our look- two websites... <laughs> Oh shit! We can't fuck with those look, guys. Look, man, if 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 there wasn't a Supreme Court decision, why yes. would they put the link in? Yes, that's all I'm saying. Uh, looking forward to the who would, put a, who would put a fake link in their thing? That would you, be you know you know the the United States Supreme Court and how it famously just upholds the law and doesn't make political interpretations. Hey, man, based they're out on, there for mm-hmm. the little guys. Based mm-hmm. on who has more money, mm-hmm. the Supreme Court, <clears throat> supreme in all red text. I just watched. Um, Look, they always they always take the side of the worker. There's the Supreme a Court. documentary on Amazon. It's a, a PBS POV documentary called Dark Money, and uh, it talks about Citizens United. You might all be familiar with, but uh, essentially, like Is one the POV one, from the money. <laughs> <laughs> it's like yeah, and then it's, it's and then it's just it's just it a blank ends. screen because it's dark money. <laughs> it's it's POV and it ends with the money coming on the workers. <laughs> And then this man's dirty hands touched me, and then this man's dirty hands touched me. But um, it talks about Montana, and so essentially what happened in Montana, there's like a Superfund site from a copper mining, because mm-hmm. in the early, uh, at the turn of the 20th century... Um, Superfund, you say? Yeah, su- yes. Uh, the uh, copper miners basically bought the entire Montana state government. Yeah, I call so, it the Ted Turner state. So there was a citizen law you know, passed by ballot initiative in 1912, that essentially said no corporation can donate money to politicians. You have to donate as an individual. Mm-hmm. And this law was on the books since 1912 and then was overturned by Citizens United. Oh. So it's 100 years on the books. And then they suddenly say, oh, yeah, the First Amendment means bribery is wow. legal. You know? Okay, but let's get on topic. We're talking about Sheldon Adelson. <laughs> uh, <laughs> who has nothing to do with dark yeah. money. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry for that wild digression, everybody. <laughs> But uh, yeah, so Sheldon Adelson is the uh, the topic this week, and uh, Sheldon Adelson is a man who hates online gambling as much as he hates Palestinian birth rates. <laughs> well, he doesn't know how to log into his computer. Yes. <laughs> and uh, wait, is, wait, say Palestinian rights. Uh, Palestinian rights. <laughs> <laughs> And um, look, it's it's something where it's kind of unavoidable when you go through um, Sheldon Adelson and the Israeli right wing. Um, a, a, an obsession of them is uh, demographics, Palestinian birth rates, the idea that the Palestinians are going to you know, breed and then take over the Israeli Jewish state. 
And uh, what? Of, cor- of course, if you've been following the news, the uh, tragic shooting in tra- uh, Christchurch Christ in uh, New Zealand. No, don't play it. <laughs> God damn it, Andy. <laughs> Get your finger away from that drops keyboard. <laughs> um, but but so look, if, if you... I looked at like the manifesto that Psychopath released... Literally, the first sentence is, if you take one thing from this manifesto... Oh, just because he's a white guy, uh, he gets off on being called crazy? Yes. If you take one thing from this manifesto, it's the birth rates, the birth rates, the birth rates. And so it is kind of an obsession of um, ethno-nationalists of all stripes. And uh, you just can't really avoid that conclusion. And Sheldon Adelson has used his fortune to literally sponsor genocide, as a U.S. court has just affirmed... Uh, pa- a Palestinian organization has sued Sheldon Adelson, among others, for their uh, for funding the settlements in the West Bank, which are again ethnic cleansing. They are pushing Palestinians out to have uh, it's just Jewish a cleansing, set- Sean. Jewish settlers come it's in, just a fun and bath. displace them on their land. Who wants to know a fun ethnic cleansing fact? What's that, Stephen? So, <laughs> <laughs> do you have yeah, it? Go ahead. Do you have it in the form of a MIDI song? <laughs> Uh, the term ethnic cleansing is fairly unique amongst uh, war crime terms because it's it was made by the people perpetrating it. <laughs> sure, that makes sense. That's yeah. uh, the people who That's are why dealing it sounds with the crime. Pleasant. <laughs> it's one of the gentler terms. Yeah. 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 Introducing it's... ethnic cleansing by L'Oreal. <laughs> Ethnic cleansing, the new selection at Spa de Casino de Edelson. It's it's a hair straightener called ethnic cleansing. <laughs> uh, but on to the man of yes, the hour. Sheldon Adelson. Um, and look, you know, you might be familiar with the fact that he gave the Trump inaugural committee about $5 million. There is an ongoing investigation into the fact that uh, millions of dollars are just totally unaccountable sure. for from the uh, Trump inaugural committee. So it could have totally ended up in his pocket, his family's pocket. Could have uh, did, Sean. Come on. Let's Sheldon Adelson here. donated another $25 million to Donald Trump during the 2016 general election. He, d- he donated another 100 Him and his wife donated $113 million to congressional Republicans in the 2018 midterm. You might and- recognize him as the guy on the news who's uh, tooting around the halls of Congress in his scooter like the kid from The Shining in a tricycle. <laughs> <laughs> But um, the point is, he's. Uh, they even have a term for this, the Adelson primary, where Republicans go to his fucking casino and, and kiss his ring and look at all the things he was able to buy with his uh, uh, trafficked Macau prostitute money. Um, <laughs> no, let's not get ahead of ourselves. <laughs> we'll get to that. But the, the point is, essentially, uh, he has extreme... Also, trafficked Macau sex worker money. Yes. <laughs> Sorry. We want to use profit, proper terminology. Um, so the point is essentially he has extreme control over Republican politics, but also he's uh, been the subject of numerous Department of uh, Justice investigations. So there's a clear conflict of interest when he's giving hundreds of millions of dollars to the very government that's supposed to be investigating his criminality. Guys, but let's start talking about young Sheldon, you know? <laughs> if it's funny, it's bazinga. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> Andy was explaining the origin of the term Bazinga to us. You see, uh, young Sheldon had a moment in his life where he realized that if he did not have a normal childhood, he would grow up maladjusted and uh, 
basically a theater nerd that uh, showrunners think embodies the spirit of a physicist. Andy, and- Andy. Obviously, our listeners know where the term Basinga comes from. That's that's worldwide knowledge right there. Come on. I'm just saying I think it's funny that uh, showrunners uh, decided that a phys- that his depiction of a physicist is just a theater nerd. <laughs> <laughs> it is pretty depressing that a majority of American households who watch television know where Basinga came from. <laughs> but nobody in this room did before today. Yeah, that's a fair point. We're just not connected with the middle America reality that is... Bazinga. <laughs> I have to say, uh, yeah. we've certainly become the worst drop show. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm hoping uh, people will recognize the keyboard as the moment we drop the shark. <laughs> Jump the shark. Drop uh, kick that shark. How yeah. many people like who listen to this are like, they're getting those billionaires. They're like, <laughs> finally, they're taking down Sheldon Adelson, one of the biggest pieces of shit, and it's just us like... <laughs> well, we have to make it very difficult for their lawyers to tolerate and listen to the entire show. I just want to make this podcast as embarrassing as possible to recommend to your friends. Bazinga. Let's just level out at 2,000-ish listeners because everybody's too ashamed to suggest their friends listen so, to it. Yo, there's a great business podcast. Really smart. Tons of facts. <laughs> like, yeah, I, l- I listened to this podcast about billionaires. Oh, yeah? Do they have an episode about Sheldon Adelson? No. <laughs> <laughs> you know people will skip the first, like, two minutes of Marin. With our podcast, the first 55 minutes. <laughs> Bazinga. The last five, we really nail it down. <laughs> Uh, Sheldon Adelson. Uh, Sheldon Bazinga. Adelson was born in 1933 in Boston. Um, his father, Dorchester, uh, according to uh, the New Yorker, his father was a Lithuanian immigrant who was a cab driver in Boston. His mother ran a knitting shop from their home in Dorchester, Massachusetts, mm-hmm. um, which was a uh, it was like a tenement. Sheldon lived in like one room with three siblings, so. Essentially, he has the kind of billionaire poor story where you grow up poor and you always talk about how you grew up poor, but you had a rich uncle the entire time. Right, right. What if uh, Sheldon Adelson got his idea of ethno-nationalist identity from uh, shithead Boston Irish guys? <laughs> well, on that and point... And that's, what's dri- that's what drives all of his like insane Israel funding? Well, on that point, Andy, uh, one sentence I want to share with you um, from the New Yorker profile... Uh, Sheldon Adelson and other Jewish boys in the neighborhood were beaten up by Irish youths. Oh, he totally and allegedly funded money uh, to the uh, uh, Tories uh, squads in yes. the troubles. Allegedly. I just, I just want... made that up now. Allegedly. Bazinga. <laughs> I just want to say, I know who I'm hoping is having a happy St. Patrick's Day right now. <laughs> <laughs> Shout out to the Irish youths in Sheldon Adelson's neighborhood. <laughs> Hope you're having a Guinness. <laughs> Hope the crack is flowing. Marauding Catholics. <laughs> beating him down every day at school. But um, but so, essentially, like, when you talk about Sheldon Adelson's rich uncle, the story, and this is right on his Wikipedia page. Imagine hearing that's good crack and having a PTSD flashback. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're the ones who put him in the mobility scooter. <laughs> uh, so... Sheldon Adelson, or yeah, Sheldon Adelson. He just can't leave the house the week of St. Patrick's Day. <laughs> <laughs> he, he hears bagpipes and he hides. <laughs> he like hits the oh floor. No. Oh no, they're coming. <laughs> <laughs> <Hit> the <dip. laughs> 
protesters like set up a jukebox and play Clancy Brothers outside his house <laughs> because he like starts shaking and curls up in a ball. Got the ballad of Sergeant Peppers. <laughs> no. tried, he tried to get Flogging Molly labeled a hate group. <laughs> Not the song about Finnegan's Wake. I was repeatedly dunked in a toilet while that was playing. Um, but so... Uh, Sheldon Adelson starts his business career at the age of 12. He borrows uh, $200 from his uncle, which is $2,740 in 2017 money. Yeah. The age of 12 to purchase a license to sell newspapers in Boston. And in according to the uh, Mo- Morris County Library website, the historic prices in 1945, a used Pontiac Coupe rumble seat was listed as $195. So nice. the amount <laughs> of money years old. you could buy a used car, you could buy a uh, used car. I mean, apples are 23 cents. But, but remember, he grew up poor and was right, self-made. Right, right. A toothbrush is 47 cents. Gas is like 18 cents. Milk is 40 cents. So this is a day and age where this kid's getting, you know, nearly like three. Uh, in 2019 dollars, I think it was 3,600. Right. Wait, milk was 40 cents? Yeah. I guess that scales. Yeah, so that's like four bucks. Mm. Never mind. You're good. Um... <laughs> <laughs> thanks for checking that out. Yeah. <laughs> thanks for thanks for cross checking my well, gas was like eight cents because now gas is more expensive than. Me. I love uh, that one of the side effects of <laughs> as you start doing math out loud. <laughs> <laughs> there's like right now there's like equations like floating around <laughs> in his in Andy's vision. It's like Andy's the, mind looks like an episode of Young Sheldon. <laughs> yeah, just like random differentials <laughs> flying around. <laughs> Any co-workers uh, are listening. They're talking about CBD. I had some CBD. <laughs> He's very relaxed right now. From a bodega. But not the kind that was just banned. <laughs> the legal no, kind. No, the... Um, but so, and you know, we just mentioned he gets this money from his uncle to start a newspaper business at 12. At age 16, he gets even more money from his uncle. In 1948, age 16, he gets $10,000 from his uncle, which is in 2017 dollars, Mm $102,394. So he gets a six-figure loan from his uncle at age 16 to start a candy vending machine business. Yeah, well, friends and family LLC. Yes. They uh, they support all the (laughs) billionaires. The rich uncle strategy of growing up Mm -hmm. poor and becoming mm-hmm. a billionaire um but it is interesting like at this uh p- point where he's r- running these vending candy vending machine businesses in boston uh there was a book written which we'll maybe get back to called sharks in the desert and it alleges that while he was running this candy Fire in the sky. it alleges that uh sharks while while he was running this candy vending machine business in boston mm-hmm. he was either extorted by or worked with uh the patriarcha crime family which is the uh the boston mafia and uh, the Winter Hill Gang, which was, of course, Whitey Bulger's gang. And uh, he actually sued the author of this for libel, uh, and the case was thrown out, but the author had to declare bankruptcy uh, while he was taking care of his daughter who had brain cancer. Oh, wow. So uh, that just shows you how libel courts work in uh, this country. And uh, we would just like to say all of that is allegedly. <laughs> we we think that Sheldon Adelson actually smashed the patriarcha <laughs> group. <laughs> He's woke. But, you know, like suing about the Winter Hill Gang is something that would only happen before the movie Departed came out. <laughs> because now that the movie Departed came out, it's like Hollywood and cool to say <laughs> that you were shaken down by the Winter Hill Gang. But before the movie Departed, right, right. you know. He's, yeah. he's the hipster and getting shaked down by that gang. It's such a fucking New England name for your gang, Winter Hill. Yeah. Yes. Oh, yeah. Out in Dorchester. Yeah. 
It's like mm, I'm gonna I'm gonna sip some Chardonnay with the Winter Hill Gang. <laughs> hey, what what should we name our gang? Sugar? No, it's taken. <laughs> <laughs> what else is around here? <laughs> they were in a diner and it was snowing, and they looked at the sugar, and then they looked outside. <laughs> Well, they needed to be something white. Yeah. <laughs> We're uh, white. We're on a hill. <laughs> <laughs> well, we can't be the white hill gang. Winter hill. Yeah. Crab shack. No, the winter hill crab shack's taken. <laughs> uh, but so after all the the white people come up with the name winter hill gang. <laughs> let's just uh, let's just say okay. So we had to um we we had to start over because the card died for a second. <laughs> but we're back. We're talking winter hill gang. We uh, we were worried we lost our great riffs about how the Winter Hill Gang was named after <laughs> sugar and a diner and the fact that they're all white. And, and then looking outside and seeing a hill in the winter. Yes. They were on a hill and they thought we're white. And you they know, called I was the walking and it was really slippery and I was worried I'd slide <laughs> down this hill out there. Just imagine them being in the diner and they're like, okay, well, we're a New England gang. What about... Uh, the crab guys and then they look over and there's just a gang of like Boston shitheads but they're also crabs and like, <laughs> <laughs> damn it it's taken oh, shit all the good names are always taken I'm gonna kill any of these summer flatland motherfuckers I see <laughs> uh, so um, after he allegedly but we don't want to provoke a lawsuit may or may not have been extorted by the Winter Hill gang uh, he does actually leave this business, and he joins the United States Army. Sheldon Adelson joins the Army. What do you think is going to be a bigger lawsuit bait, the uh, organized crime connections or the fact that we outright accuse him of funding a genocide? <laughs> I think the Dido track that you parody. <laughs> that's going to be... That's the angle he gets <laughs> yeah. us on. It's parody. It, there's a Supreme Court case. Yes. They have not proven to be funny to me, so I don't believe it's parody. <laughs> You know the Supreme Court. It's like Court. a sovereign citizen defense <laughs> <laughs> at this point. It's a parody. Under the Articles of Confederacy. Yeah, you, you, start, re- you start referencing like the Federalist Papers. Yeah. We start getting like really, really technical in the courtroom. It's like, are you doing parody? No, sir, we are speaking. <laughs> speaking is protected under the Articles of Confederacy. <laughs> You see those sovereign citizen videos, right? Like I, I watch the, the First Amendment the audits funniest, every night to go to sleep. Funniest shit is when I watch uh, it always. Funniest shit is when the officer will say something like, "So uh, you're driving this vehicle?" And they'll go, "No, sir, I'm I'm traveling." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Check me. <laughs> there, was one, there was one I was watching recently, and uh, it was the First Amendment audit, which is where they film public places and cops them cut it out because it's like a private area right or it's a uh, pub it's a public government facility they don't want people filming anyway uh the cop at one point just went why don't you guys get like nice cameras because you guys use like 200 300 phones and the guy behind the camera just goes 300 dollars this is a galaxy s8 this is a 900 dollar phone <laughs> <laughs> oh so good so good by the way, um, a legal tactic that sovereign citizens use that I respect a lot is they will file fraudulent liens really? <laughs> against just anybody who pisses them <laughs> off. <laughs> Particularly like uh. any judge who like hears a case with sovereign citizens or rules against sovereign citizens will suddenly find out a bunch of fraudulent liens have been filed <laughs> against their house. Hell yeah. Just to fuck with people and tie up the court system. <laughs> There's one where it was like a First Amendment audit, and it was going on for like 45 minutes. Yeah. And at like minute 36, he gets back in his car, and like the cops are surrounding him, and you just hear him go, 
And I see that son. This is exactly why we got to stand up for 36 minutes. The son has said nothing. And then at that point, you realize there's been a kid in the situation the entire time. <laughs> Last one. My favorite Sovereign Citizen video. It's- you think that was a weird day for the kid or a normal day for the kid? That's every day for that guy's life, man. That was a good day for that kid. <laughs> so uh, the, there's the, the Australian equivalent is the uh, the free men on the land movement. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's one of the videos and the YouTube compilation of Sovereign City videos. Funny as shit on YouTube. <laughs> but uh, so, better than any stand up video ever. Yes, would be. It's, it's so true. There's nothing you can write that is just funnier than these people. So the funny my favorite video, it opens with these Australian people driving in a car and you hear police sirens behind them and the first thing the guy said is so we just drove through a DUI <laughs> we just drove directly through without stopping <laughs> and then it's like he goes free men on the land <laughs> and there's these cop cars chasing him and then they pull him over and smash the window so funny. Oh. and they film all of that for our entertainment <laughs> I mean they're they're national and international heroes but um, yes, uh, the uh, our favorite free man on the land of Palestine is Sheldon Adelson, <laughs> and uh, so Sheldon Adelson he joins the army. He, he tr- attends trade school uh, to be a court, court reporter, court stenographer. We should and, uh, we should mention uh, what his dad was doing when he was a uh, young Sheldon. He was a taxi driver. He was ta- it, a taxi driver, and he was also uh, suffering from a uh, borderline gambling addiction. Oh, really? Oh, yes. Yes. That was kind of soaking his family. Uh, he said he would go to the horse races in the day and the dog races at night. Mm. Yeah. That was kind of... reminds me of, like... In the rat race in the morning. <laughs> I, wonder, I wonder if there is any sort of uh, Austrian psychologist who would have something to say about this. <laughs> That reminds me of the Vince McMahon episode. He grew up in trailer parks with his family in beatings and then now runs the WWE. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like whatever afflicts your father is like how you make your empire right, right. afflicting other people's fathers. And Jeffrey Epstein. Oh! <laughs> <laughs> uh. But so uh, uh, Sheldon Adelson, he joins the army and he's like a court stenographer there. It's interesting. Like he talks about he was actually involved in kind of the aftermath of the uh, army, the Joseph McCarthy uh, hearings. Uh, speaking of St. Patrick's Day heroes. <laughs> uh, but so like a lot of like physicists were um, essentially disbarred from working on the nuclear program or getting government grants because they were alleged communists or socialists or whatever. So Sheldon, uh, Sheldon Adelson actually talks about he took down like the court testimony of some of these people trying to like get their license back you Mm -hmm. know in the aftermath of the army mccarthy hearings um and he actually tells like some weird story about like being at some soiree with physicists and they're like talking about you know what's the meaning of life and he goes like you know these 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 eggheads are (laughs) he said something like these eggheads are supposed to be like the smartest people on earth and they're debating this stuff that it's like well humans have wondered that for all time you'll never know and at that moment i realized uh the meaning of life is happiness, but if I make other people happy, that makes me happy. And that's the meaning of life, and I've never looked back. And I'm paraphrasing, but he gave yeah, kind sure. of this talk. It's like, it's just kind of a weird life philosophy. But it's it's also the underpinnings is he has convinced himself that by making billions, he is helping people. Sure, sure. By making billions off, you know, uh, trafficking prostitutes and yeah. gambling. Yeah. Uh, allegedly on the prostitutes part. Right. <laughs> But not allegedly but, on the gambling. Yes. I mean, you know, you're fueling gambling addictions, you're union busting, and he's convinced himself that he is making himself happy by making other people happy. I mean, I got to say, with the resources he has, he probably has 
the most high-tech diaper money can buy, <laughs> which I'm sure is making plenty of people who have to be in his presence happy. It's just cashmere. It's just a cashmere <laughs> diaper. Hey, what do you think is worse for society, gambling or like uh, tobacco industry? Mm, probably tobacco. tobacco. Yeah. Probably. Though it is interesting. Like, so Sheldon Adelson, the majority of his money right now, I think like 60-ish percent of his revenues come from his casinos in Macau, right. the, the Chinese colony, which is the only place in China where gambling is legal. Mm-hmm. And opium and gambling actually both have a very taboo history in China because, you know, of course, uh, you know, colonizers, uh, European colonizers used both of those things to right. control the population. You don't have to say European. We knew. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> also <laughs> Japanese. Okay. Let's not. All right. Yeah. If you're a main let's not erase their history. If you're a mainland Chinese person, you go to Macau and you gamble. Does that help your social credit score, <laughs> or is it worse? <laughs> um, but so. Uh, Sheldon Adelson. Really, he, it really depends how you do. Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> He's uh, You win three three blackjack hands. They're like, <laughs> all right, props. <laughs> Plus ten. <laughs> they find out you're counting cards. Okay, going down. So Adelson's a court uh, reporter, court stenographer for the U.S. Army. He leaves, um, and then he founds like a ton of businesses. Essentially, he's he speaks a lot about being an entrepreneur. You know, this entrepreneur mindset. So uh, Sheldon Adelson starts a business this is from the New Yorker, where him and his brother package toiletries. He wasn't his uh, words. Doing what other people said he couldn't do. Okay, go on, Sean. He was packaging toiletries. Uh, they were packaging toiletries to be distributed to hotels. Oh, so brave. They started a business called De-Ice It, which sold a chemical spray to help clear frozen windshields. <laughs> that uh, I'm sure had nothing to do with the decline of eagle populations in the United States. <laughs> Think different. Uh, he sold ads for a financial trade publication. He advised Innovation. companies looking for financing. He invested... Synergy. Invested in real estate. He ran a charter bus tour business. Uh, This guy is breaking all the rules. He said that by his mid-30s, he had a net worth of about $5 million, but he lost a fortune twice. Yeah. But I just like that he has founded uh, businesses equivalent to the number of ongoing lawsuits he currently has. <laughs> so that's that's why uh, we're all just getting by by the string of our teeth. I don't think any of us have lost our fortunes ever. <laughs> we're two down. Yeah. But, I mean, essentially he uses his rich uncle's startup capital to fund a ton of businesses during uh, boom time in America. And uh, he's successful in some of these, but, again, loses his fortune twice. He's got the luxury to fail. That's all it is. Yeah, you know. Hey, how many risks can he take before you... How many risks could we take before our lives would crumble? Two? How many uncles we got? (laughs) (laughs) But uh, Uncle Sam, Uncle Tom. uh, (laughs) Essentially, his big break is in 1979 where he founds Comdex, which is a computer trade show in uh, Las Vegas. This is what moves him to Las Vegas originally. He's not originally there for gambling. He essentially founds one of the first computer trade shows in the country, and this is just where computers are really starting to take off, 1979. So the idea is essentially businesses will have junkets out to Vegas to, like, you know... Uh, see different computer models and think about buying them for their business, and mm-hmm. then these businessmen will come out for the junkets. So Adelson kind of starts getting on the back end too, where it's like, okay, I can get in on the hotels for the businessmen, I can get on entertainment for the businessmen, and Comdex is really what makes him a multimillionaire um, in Las Vegas. <clears throat> I thought he just went for that pussy dog. <laughs> <laughs> I thought Shell was was trolling. I was like, you want? I want a house out here, son. <laughs> No, that was Macau. <laughs> they see me scoot. <laughs> yeah. 
So it's it's essentially this um this gonna get me gambling nerded. <laughs> so it's Bazinga. He sets up uh, with uh, some other investors what's called the Interface Group, is the controlling company that owns Comdex. And um, in 1989, Shell Nadelson uses this money that he's made from uh, this computer um, uh, uh, trade show, um, trade convention, to essentially buy the Sands Casino, the Las Vegas Sands, mm-hmm. which is a famous casino. You know, the Rat Pack, uh, Sammy Davis Jr., Frank Sinatra <laughs> carried out several murders mm-hmm. there. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, so it's a famous Las Vegas casino that he buys in 1989, which again, you know, he's, he's really gambling on, um, he, he builds, he also around this time, how many times you think Dean Martin used the N word in that building (laughs) (laughs) and he demolished it and our historical preservation society did nothing to stop him. How dare they? Yeah. I want it to be in the halls where, <laughs> where Dean Martin <laughs> called somebody a jigaboo. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but so... Sean, why did that word come so naturally? <laughs> <out of your laughs> I'll just say, if you watch the old, the old Dean Martin roasts are on YouTube, yeah, and there's one where Muhammad Ali's there, and they're doing, um, let's just say... Uh, era appropriate jokes and muhammad ali is just glaring at them the whole time because uh he could just very easily uh knock the shit out of all of them yes. real quick and uh probably should have uh, but so essentially Sheldon Adelson, he, he builds also the, the country's largest exhibition center right next to the hotel the uh you know Oh, so it's the Sands Hotel. Excuse me. He buys the Sands Hotel, and then he buy, builds this giant exhibition center right next to it. Mm-hmm. And people, you know, kind of like... And this is where he sets up the company that he still owns, the Las Vegas Sands, and it also incorporates the Macau Sands later. But so he builds this giant exhibition center next to it, and he's essentially, again, gra- gambling successfully on this uh, <clears throat> trade show corporate junket market. Right. And this kind of expands where, you know, lots of businesses will have these business junkets in Las Vegas because, you know, they can party and they can do business, yeah. you know. So slanderous so, to say that he had uh, organized crime ties. <laughs> well, it is like an... Buying int- a Rat Pack casino <laughs> in Las Vegas. Uh, the Winter Hell Gang only showed up to one trade show. <laughs> <laughs> but so, weird thing about his character that happens around this time, um, he screws his... Uh, children out of um, shares in his company like yeah he fucked them over on stocks right yeah so he has three children I believe or uh, he has five children altogether um, uh, one of them's passed away but his children three children at the time from his first marriage uh, two sons and a daughter in 1989 he had arranged for each of them to I rec- like to say worst marriage <laughs> uh, in 1989 he um Arrange for each of them to receive like uh, 2,900-ish shares of the company that owns this uh, computer convention center or this uh, computer, the Interface Group, which uh, owns the um, independent trade shows in Vegas about computers, you know. Um, In 1989, he gives them these shares. But in 1994, uh, the Japanese uh, SoftBank approaches him about buying buying him out of this position. Mm -hmm. And just before this... Sounds uh, like they're playing hard bank. Right. So 1994, he's going to get bought out. But just before he gets bought out, he approaches his children. (laughs) 
<laughs> I thought the appropriate thing to do was move on. <laughs> Steven covered his eyes, and I, I had to. I, I, it was too good. Yeah. But so. That was so great. Yeah. But so the point is, just before this sale, he approaches his children about buying the shares back mm-hmm. that he had given them the stock in 1989. Mm-hmm. 1994, there's uh, he buys the stock back from them. He gives them about $5 million-ish each. But the thing is, he buys the stock back from them at a valuation of the company at about 400-some million. And then just a couple weeks later, he sells it to SoftBank for $800 million, Bazinga. more than $800 million. So essentially, he undervalues it by about half right. when Bazinga. he buys the stock back from the children. And screws them out of at least $5 million each. (laughs) (laughs) And this is his own children. Yeah, I think he claimed later, because I watched uh, um, an interview with him, an hour-long interview. And Uh these things are rarely very enlightening, but you can kind of get like an idea for someone. He he claimed that because uh, one of his kids died of an overdose, he was keeping money from them for their own protection. Yeah. Well, and like the other fucked up thing is so both uh, two of his sons sue him over this. The mm-hmm. lawsuits are eventually thrown out. Like, I think the court said something like he's acting like a really shitty father, but he didn't technically <laughs> yeah, defraud right, them. Right. So, um, but so two of his. Wait, really? Because it sounded like he had good insider trading. Well, the thing is, like, they couldn't. With his children. Right. They couldn't prove that he was aware of the sale. Before he bought the stock back. Yeah, so it yeah. could have conceivably been a coincidence right. that he undervalued the company by just half and then immediately sold it. But it's just such a weird thing to do by your children. During the trial, he had like a Mr. Magoo style forgetfulness. And right. So the jury was just like, I mean, who knows if this guy remembers anything, you know? Yeah. Walking into the walls. But so. Scooting into walls. His two sons sue him. His daughter doesn't sue him. The lawsuits are thrown out. But one of his sons in 2005 dies of a drug overdose. Uh, You know, he had a heroin and cocaine problem. And it's just kind of fucked up where, like, Sheldon Adelson has been a big opponent of marijuana legalization. He spent a lot of money to keep it from being legalized. Uh, ostensibly because he says it's a gateway drug and he talks about his own son dying of overdose. And it's like, right. well, you're skipping the part where you screwed him out of $5 million <laughs> and maybe perpetuated a downward spiral that might happen if your own fucking father fucks you out of money. Yep. You know, like your own family. It's it's just fucked up. So what are the kids' net worth in, instead? Is it like, what, a couple million dollars? I'm it presuming? said each child, uh, the three of them received just <clears throat> under $5 million. And they should have received over $10 million if it had been valued at what SoftBank actually bought it for. Right, right. Which was double what he valued at. Um, but regardless, uh, so 95... But his second wife is lovely. <laughs> 95, he sells uh, this trade show company to SoftBank Japan, and then he uses this money in 1996. He demolishes the uh, Las Vegas Sands Hotel. Uh, and again, this is a historic monument, but he opens the Venetian in 1999, which is still there. Mm-hmm. So essentially, he demolishes this old, old hotel, builds this new luxury one, but important point... Uh, the it's sa- got a red tower. <laughs> Important point is the Sands Hotel, like uh, lots of uh, Las Vegas hotels and casinos historically, was unionized. Right, right. It was union <clears throat> workers. So he demolishes in 1996 this unionized uh, hotel, and then in 1999 he opens a non-union hotel. And this is what brings him into Republican politics, is essentially he starts a long battle with the unions, and they start picketing him, and he starts funding Republican politicians right. specifically to break the back of the unions. And uh, fun fact, people don't know this, but Sands Hotel, not made out of sand. Mm-hmm. <laughs> also fun fact, uh, at the little red uh, Venice Tower, uh-huh. 
Uh, you can reenact the last scene from Young Pope. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. What? Yeah. So um, it's in particular in... Uh, Did he die? I don't know. It's like the end of Sopranos. <laughs> in Las Vegas uh, and in Nevada, the culinary union is a very uh, is a relatively strong union. Of course, they're all under assault. But um, So he's had this long-running battle with the culinary union, and this is just from the New Yorkers, uh, uh, the New Yorker profile. Um so Adelson has said that the benefits he gives his employees are superior to union benefits, which is, of course, true, because uh, why would people unionize to make their own lives worse? <laughs> right, right. <laughs> why would they risk being fired and retaliated against just to get worse benefits? Um, but so there was a, uh, in early, uh, the early aughts. I tell you that every job has its ups and downs, and a union can't change that. <laughs> um, but so... Essentially, in the early aughts, there was a rally in which a thousand union supporters picketed in front of the newly built Venetian uh, Hotel. Uh, Adelson tried to have them removed. Was that named after Venice? (laughs) Yes. He went on a trip to Venice with his wife, and then he tried to build like a hotel to recreate the experience. So um, Adelson tried to have the protesters removed by the police. You know what would be great about this vacation? If I didn't have to fly to get to fucking here. (laughs) I just want to like w- scoot on over a couple of blocks and get like a more generic version of it. You know what There's I like no about water. you know what I like about this place. It seems like it would uh, really be a good place to wrap up a uh, one season narrative about a young pope. <laughs> I like the water, but not so much the wops. <laughs> can we can we do the one That's... without the other? <laughs> well, I can't take all the water out of here, but hmm, maybe I could build one without the water. <laughs> Apparently, yeah, they have, like, some canal, like, in or attached to the Venetian hotel, and he, like, was really, like, micromanaging. He, like, ordered it drained and then refilled to, like, get the water the perfect degree of blue, you know, so. Oh, he at least tries to recreate right the canals okay yeah. seems like you can do it cheaper with like, dye <laughs> let's do it with no water in a landlocked desert. <laughs> I and mean, you're already in a, you know, lifeless patch of hell, so you're not going to poison the fish. Uh, there's but, no fish. But so in the early aughts, there's this rally. A thousand union supporters picket his hotel. Uh, he tries to have the police remove them. Uh, when that failed, he goes to court, arguing that the sidewalks outside the Venetian were private property and not subject to the First oh Amendment. Uh, he lost in the district of court. Then he lost in the appellate sir, court. Are, <laughs> sir, 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 are my sidewalks being detained? Yeah. That was, that was some sovereign. Yeah. yeah. And then in 2002. Anything I can uh, see from a public place, I can film. Uh, in 2002, he, the Supreme Court refuses to um, uh, hear the case. And Adelson is, again, very uh, explicit about this. Like, he doesn't say it publicly, but according to former employees, again, his family was all Democrats. Um, but he explained this to a former employee that he has a long-running feud with that, quote, old Democrats were with the union and wanted to break the... and." I wanted to break the back of the union. Consequently, I had to break the back of the Democrats. Ooh. And this is wow. according to a lawsuit alleged by a former... Why do you former... have to break anyone's back? <laughs> he stepped on too many cracks. That's from a lawsuit um, by a former employee named uh, Shelley Berkeley, who later became a congressman. And it just like... He he has like this long running feud with her where like she was in a she lost her Senate run partly because Shell Nadelson spent millions funding her opponent mm-hmm. but he would also like dump millions into her like safe Democratic district just to be spiteful <laughs> <laughs> try to get her defeated um, but yeah like she says that uh, his 
her relationship with him began to sour the moment I urged him to hold jobs open at the Venetian for former Sands workers. So he demolishes this union hotel, he fires all the union workers, and then he hires scabs and doesn't make jobs available to former union workers. So it's, it's a very clear connection of what gets him involved in Republican politics in the 90s. I mean, I'm sure he made a lot of jobs for Italian-Americans. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but so, and then just kind of like jumping through his life, uh, we can, we can go to Macau where, uh, he's really just, uh, literally two days before the recording, he's settled an ongoing lawsuit based on, uh, what happened in Macau. But, um, in 2001, it Adel- created an iconic piece of architecture. That's, uh, what I learned from the interview with him that I watched. But so in 2001, Adelson meets with the vice premier of China and the, a Hong Kong businessman named Richard Swan, uh, S-U-E-N, uh, had set up this... You'll be putting a Ms. Swan <laughs> drop. Got it. Basically, this Hong Kong businessman had set up the meeting because uh, he had connections to the Chinese government officials. And he had set it up. I don't remember the exact conditions, but I think it was like he wanted a 2% cut of whatever deal they got mm-hmm. or something like several million. And so he sets up this meeting with the Chinese government. Adelson gets his uh, hotel and casino, and then Adelson just walks away and doesn't give him anything. Wow. And then that's been tied up in court since 2004. Um, the, he, 15 years? Yeah, because they kept appealing. And this guy, he initially got like a $40 million, then a $70 million award, and then they kept appealing. And as of two days ago, they settled it, but we don't know the terms. Oh. But Adelson finally paid this guy some amount of money after all this time fucking him over for uh, helping him set up the bribery connections right, with the Chinese right. government. Um, but so, like, this this Macau story... It's, I'm not saying he's doing anything illegal. I'm just saying I deserve more money for the thing I helped set up. Mm-hmm. But so, he's... a. I believe he is actually the first foreigner to get a license to set up a casino in Macau. He opens the Sands Macau in uh, t- 2004. As we mentioned, now Macau is 60-some percentage of their revenue. Uh, they have like another. I think they have the Macau Venetian as well now. And Ma- uh, Macau, this is a small island nation yeah. mm-hmm. that is under Chinese control now. Yes. And it actually has a... Was it under Dutch control? Uh, mm-hmm. Portuguese. Portuguese. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. From the 15- Portuguese. From 1554... Something like that, yeah. It yeah. was like Hong Kong was British, Macau was Just Portuguese. Just give background. Man, yeah. talk about a downwardly mobile country. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, it has a higher inequality than most of the mainland China. Really? Right. Yeah. Oh. Hong Kong has significant inequality, too. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, I mean, it's an interesting thing where it's like, again, as we mentioned, the only part of China where gambling is legal. So, like, there's like a one-hour speed boat from Hong Kong to Macau that's like regular for gambling trips and these sorts of things. So, it's like... Um, what if they just, like... In a couple of years, just do pure Maoist shock therapy. To in Macau a couple of years, Hong Kong. You mean when yeah. we find out in a couple of years? <laughs> but so, I'm just saying they they just go whole like you know, just the the most extreme aspects of Maoism. They just bring them right into like you know the Red Army just marches in. And they're like, all right, landlords in prison. <laughs> but so again, we we as usual. Only- I think they should do that in New York. <laughs> We only have an hour in this episode, so we can't really get to all the shit that Sheldon Adelson did. But uh, we've we've mentioned the Foreign Corrupt Practices Act. It is illegal for uh, U.S. Um, companies and officials and businessmen to bribe foreign officials. What? Uh, in February 2013, the Las Vegas Sands, in a regulatory fire, filing, admitted that it had likely violated this law uh, by bribing Chinese officials to allow... Um, 
Adelson to build his Macau casino. Right, right. So he violated the Foreign Corrupt Practices Act. In 2015, he settles this for about $9 million. Nobody goes to prison. And as we've mentioned, you know, um, he's donated all this money to Trump and the Republicans. And there's also allegations in his Macau casinos that historically Macau has been controlled by the Chinese triads. Gambling there has been. So there's a lots of allegations that Chinese triads are involved in uh, the VIP rooms, in prostitution. Sean, what's so funny about the phrase Chinese triads? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Sean, Why are you laughing while you're about? saying Chinese triads? Wait, could we? Uh, I would just like to uh, say the name of a uh, triad that uh, is reportedly linked to uh, his company. Yeah, okay. The Wuhop 2 triad. <laughs> Please don't kill me. <laughs> What are, what are the rest of their names? Shung uh, Shi Ta, a Hong Kong-born leader of the Wuhop 2 triad. This can is I, from The Guardian. Sean, can I just say that like, even when a country doesn't have WAPs, mm-hmm. they still invent them. Shung <laughs> uh, is banned from entering the United States because of, quote, his affiliation to organized crime. This Sean, is from The Guardian. These are just the liner notes of the Martin Shkreli Wu-Tang album. Come on, I know what you're reading here. <laughs> but so... <Just> the- <laughs> This is from The Guardian. So basically, like, uh, the, this is a, another ongoing lawsuit is that one of uh, Sheldon Adelson's floor managers in Macau said he, like, tried to get uh, prostitutes and loan sharks and triads off the floor of the casino and was fired and told, like, this com- this policy comes directly from Sheldon Adelson. Don't interfere with it. And that's another kind of lawsuit that was tied up. And, and- uh, according to his lawsuit, yes. uh, uh, Jacob says that Adelson accused him of, quote, squealing like a pig to the government (laughs) (laughs) i'm so glad we've moved away from the organized crime history of las vegas to respectable businessmen like sheldon adelson i just i i somehow managed to not look at sheldon adelson's face this whole time and now looking at it it's just the the beginning uh of return of the jedi with Jabba the hutt's face mixed with the end of return of the jedi with the emperor's face like just this melting. Jabba the Hutt was uh, founding the farming colonies on Tantooine, <laughs> <laughs> displacing the Jawas. <laughs> um, but so, so again, like Adelson denied in court knowing this triad leader and said, "Oh, he's just a gambler. We don't know him." But the, the according to these court documents, what happens is in these VIP rooms and casinos, the triads will like control prostitution and drug running there, and they'll even bring high rolling businessmen there. And in exchange, they get like a ten percent cut or whatever the case may be. And so what happens is Adelson denies it, and then in two thousand eight, documents show that in two thousand eight, one of the Sands casinos in Macau extended thirty two million dollars in credit to uh, this triad junket company. So he extended a $32 million loan to uh, organized crime triads, the Wuhop 2 triad. I'm just saying, like, in Revenge of the Sith, Mm -hmm. when Samuel L. Jackson's holding up his lightsaber to the Emperor and his face starts melting, Mm -hmm. Sheldon Adelson looks like if you dragged that scene out a few more minutes. (laughs) (laughs) There's, like... One other weird thing that I want to say from this episode, before he actually gets um, approval for this casino, Sheldon Adelson meets with the mayor of Beijing. Uh, at this point, China was trying to get approval to host the Olympics. There was a, 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 like some generic resolution in the U.S. House of Representatives that was saying condemning China hosting the Olympics for human rights mm-hmm. violations. The mayor of Beijing mentions this to Sheldon Adelson. Sheldon Adelson... Um, 
calls Tom DeLay directly, then the Republican, was he the majority leader or the whip? I forget what he was at the time. Tom but, DeLay from Blink-182. Yes. Tom DeLay. Uh, so Sheldon Nicholson calls him directly. Tom DeLay calls him back and says, quote, you're in luck. Uh, we're not going to be able to move the bill. So you tell your mayor that he can be assured this bill will never see the light of day. <laughs> so it just kind of tells you the access that Sheldon Nicholson has. Like, another funny thing from the New Yorker thing is apparently Sheldon Adelson's wife, Miriam, uh, found a um, CD or had put together a CD of, on the group terrorist group Islamic Jihad, mm-hmm. and she brought it directly to the White House and said, President Bush needs to see this. <laughs> <laughs> so some fucking, like, PowerPoint presentation she put together about some, like, terrorist group that she had Googled was brought directly right, to the president's right. desk. You know, you know another funny thing from the New Yorker. Yeah, the comics. <laughs> Didn't she win? There's like a dog in a therapist's office. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and he's like sometimes uh, I wonder if the cars are chasing me. <laughs> um, and that's the come to go you'll find in the New Yorker. Yeah, only nine ninety nine for unlimited episodes. Episodes. But so well, we're not going to get to everything. But uh, I did want to mention. I guess I d- dogs don't chase cars anymore now with leash laws being what they are. Before we run out of time, I want to mention Israel, and I want to no, mention this is important. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> I want to mention Israel, and I want to mention Sheldon Adelson in 2015 buys the Las Vegas Review Journal, which is uh, apparently the Nevada's largest media outlet. And this kind of ties into something we've seen, which is the death of local news outlets. Mm-hmm. You know, again, like the classified advertising revenue has been destroyed by you know craigslist and the internet so a lot of local reporting is being phased out and of course shell nadelson buys uh the uh las vegas um the uh, one of the uh less consequential mass deaths that shell nadelson is involved in <laughs> uh he buys the las vegas review journal in 2015 in 2016 it becomes the only major paper in the country to endorse donald trump for president um, but interestingly enough, he buys it for $140 million, which is a lavish overpayment. Yeah. And uh, like immediately... Was he funneling money into it? Like right. Hiding money? Yeah. So immediately after the sale... Well, he probably just like wanted a propaganda outlet. And the Las Vegas uh, Review Journal has occasionally looked into his business practices. Mm-hmm. Immediately after the sale, it comes down through the publisher and the pipeline. Do not mention Sheldon Adelson. <laughs> Do not mention his businesses yeah. without direct permission <laughs> yeah. from the publisher. Wow. So that immediately happens and they they even tried to hide the sale from their own newsroom and then so the reporters had to within a week figure out that adelson had bought it and then like i think 20 to 100 of them were either laid off or just quit because sheldon adelson turned it into a propaganda rag like almost immediately and this is something we see a lot of billionaires doing he's done the same thing in israel where in 2007 he founds a free newspaper that's like a bb netanyahu supporter also their review of captain america winter soldier Mm -hmm. very phoned in oh but it's like basically just wrote up the marvel press release yeah but so uh uh one other thing from this las vegas review uh this guy he had sued for libel for writing the book sharks in the desert was a guy named john smith who was a regular columnist for the las vegas uh review journal and uh as we mentioned, Sheldon Adelson sues him for Sheldon Adelson sues him for fifteen million dollars in um, in damages for mm-hmm. this book, and uh, then uh, apparently the guy says that Sheldon Adelson had a rabbi as an intermediary call Smith and say he will put six figures in your bank account for your daughter's medical bills, well, which is of course yeah, his right. daughter's dying mm-hmm. of, or has a brain tumor. Right. I think she's still alive, but okay, he's generous. Yeah. 
He'll put six-figure sum in your bank account as long as you acknowledge in court that you libeled me. Wow. And again, this is like a, a book that's Seems like... Seems like a small ass. Right. Uh, and he has to file for bankruptcy because right. this billionaire is suing him for libel. The case is later dismissed because it's completely without merit. Right, right. But it just shows you how you can throw money around. And then unsurprisingly, this columnist who did occasionally mention Sheldon Adelson, mm-hmm. as you do after a guy bankrupts you <laughs> right. while your daughter is dying... Uh, he did occasionally mention Sheldon Adelson, and of course, immediately he's told, you cannot mention Sheldon Adelson anymore, and he leaves the newspaper. Yeah. So it's like, yeah, just hunt your enemies and buy their source of income. Guys, journalism isn't dying in this country, okay? Yeah. Well, I think uh, we're safe, because we don't have any daughters. <laughs> Not yet. But Adelson has, since 2000, him and his wife have donated over $140 million to Birthright Israel. So, you know... <laughs> That is a lot of hand jobs. Yes. And in fact, <laughs> speaking of um, uh, demographic problems, this is from the New Yorker. Adelson paid like $3 million for um, a dinner like uh, where uh, Sh- uh, Shimon Perez, who's uh, Israel former prime minister, uh, he had a dinner to like speak with, you know, Israeli leaders and influencers and global problems and stuff. And so according to the New Yorker. Thoughtfluencers. Uh, yeah. So uh, he, uh, Shimon Perez asked uh, the guests what they considered the biggest challenge facing the Jewish people. Adelson said, quote, I think Jews should have lots of sex. This is the solution to our demographic problem. So that's why you fund $140 million yeah. of Birthright Israel. <laughs> Just get a bunch of horny Adam Friedlands in the room. <laughs> Come in and each other. Don't give them condoms, and uh, you can turn them into settler colonialists. Oh, I, I think if two Adam Friedlands come in each other, they don't make. You'd be surprised. Uh, they don't reproduce. It's very potent. <laughs> I'll uh, say I, I'm just imagining because you said influencers. I'm just imagining like some uh, like someone who usually hops like lip gloss on Instagram being <laughs> like. <laughs> The Palestinians' homeland is in Jordan. <laughs> Look, it's not our fault that the best places to grow oranges happen to be where they're living. <laughs> and you know, the fun thing about this joke is that it's absolutely true. <laughs> yeah, there are Allegedly. people who do that. <laughs> um, but so, according to The New Yorker, Adelson has recounted how his father yearned to set foot in Israel, but was too poor to travel there, and then later too ill to go. After his father died, Adelson traveled to Israel and wore his father's shoes Aww. as he disembarked from the plane and <laughs> kicked over a settlement. <laughs> <laughs> kicked over uh, someplace that uh, they were d- displaced like to. like when they like pride billionaire stories where they have heart, because then it makes every other crime they do just that much more... Mm. Like treacherous, you know what I mean? Like he has a soft spot in his for his dad's fucking ragged ass shoes, and yet is still willing to fuck over everyone else. What if he just went to a dog track and like was like, "Yeah, fuck you, dad. I can do both," and then just put it all on the (laughs) shittiest dog? How did he get the one forty million? But so he uh, divorces his first... on the pups and go to the homeland. Sheldon Adelson divorces his first wife, Sandra. He marries his second wife, Miriam, who is an Israeli citizen. Um, and she's allegedly the one who really pushes him right on Israel. But I do want to mention... By right, you mean correct. Sheldon Adelson has filed a lot of just... <laughs> Sheldon Adelson has filed a lot of just I have money libel lawsuits. Sure. The one that he actually won, 
and got damages on was uh, against the Daily Mail. So I want to be clear that this is the Daily Mail saying it. I am not saying it. What is the coupon book people? The Daily Mail suggested that Sheldon Adelson uh, notified his first wife of uh, his intention to divorce the day before she started chemotherapy. Oh, my God. And again, that is the Daily Mail who had to pay damages for saying that. I am not saying that. Bazinga. (laughs) (laughs) Um, but so he marries his second wife, Miriam, in 1991. They have two children, both born in the 90s. So Sheldon Adelson has children younger than we are. Sure. <laughs> uh, of course he does. Two Zoomer Israeli kids. You know, Jews need to have lots of sex to fight the demographic problem. Um, but importantly, and this is just something I want to mention here. When we talk about what, when we talk about Israel, we are talking about a uh, violently right-wing ethnostate where even the nominal left that supports the two-state solution supports the two-state solution because of the demographic problem. Mm-hmm. Where uh, the former Prime Minister Olmer, who uh, Shell Nadelson uh, waged a vicious campaign with his media empire to displace with Netanyahu, Olmer came around to supporting the two-state solution precisely because of this demographic problem. He said, you know, the Palestinian birth rates are going to overwhelm the Jewish state. So we have to cordon them off in their own separate state. Shell Nadelson is even more extreme where he doesn't think they should have a state. They should have a little Bantu stand where you have like a South Africa situation where they have no rights and are just completely at the mercy of the Israeli government and are eventually just completely pushed off all of the arable land and all of the decent resources and area that the Jewish people can settle and exploit. Okay, but what's the downside? Yeah, I, don't, I don't see any negatives that's shown. Yeah. And also, this is like Adelson has funded uh, APAC since the 90s, but this is another way or place where he has publicly criticized APAC and funded even more extreme groups, where APAC, again, supports the two-state solution for I'm sure he got a lot of uh, kickback for uh, publicly criticizing APAC. Obviously. I mean, you know, when a 6-6 male decides to criticize APAC, I mean, they... they they pounce on him, you know, quicker than a tiger pounces on meat. I mean, nobody can criticize APAC. How uh, dare they? Yeah. The fact that we're even saying APAC and the word criticize in the same sentence, we're, we're, we could be sued. Chelsea She'll... Clinton will uh, be on our ass. Well, Adam Friedland thinks she's unattractive, and she responded, so. <laughs> <laughs> By the uh, way, those kids were right. <laughs> There's some shitbag on Twitter who was like, can you believe that this lady who accosted Chelsea Clinton put up her Venmo and then you go to that guy's Twitter and the pinned tweet is his PayPal. Uh, (laughs) He he supports Elon. Here's my hot take on that. Uh, I don't think Chelsea Clinton had anything to do rhetorically with the uh, New Zealand massacre, but uh, you do get nervous when there is a uh, Donald Trump Jr., Greg Gutfield uh, coalition with liberal blue check marks (laughs) to uh, attack and dox a college student who dares criticize Chelsea Clinton in public. I mean, it's like, yeah, this is what power is at the end of the day. These people, these millionaires and billionaires and these corrupt people who do control our government will join hands to attack anyone who dares even mildly criticize them or hold them to account. Bazinga. <laughs> that is what bipartisanship is. But I do want to just uh, close out our Israel stuff so we can run to the movie. Uh Essentially, the the free newspaper we mentioned is Israel Hayom, uh, which... Uh, Do they really take a spaceship to the moon in this movie? I don't want to spoil anything. <laughs> but 
Israel Hyom. <laughs> Israel Hyom. Uh, was uh, Adelson opens it uh, in 2007. Again, it's a free national newspaper. Adelson spends more than a hundred, uh, I think, 140, 150 million on this thing, where he's just like running it at a loss as a propaganda outlet, where other newspapers have to charge money, but he's just like, hey, this shit's free. It's propaganda right, right. for Netanyahu. Uh, again, as Andy mentioned, it's called Bibby's Paper, and uh, their journalists are strictly under strict orders not to speak publicly about the paper, and they just receive marching orders. It's a propaganda rag, and Adelson has an extreme amount of control over Israeli media and Israeli politics mm. to the point where, like, one um, uh, news channel in Israel, ha- uh, like, it suggested that he had um, undue political influence uh, to get his casino license in Las Vegas which is a ridiculous suggestion because in Las Vegas, you are not supposed to be able to get a casino license if you have any organized crime connection. <laughs> and Sheldon Adelson, of course, has no organized crime connection. No, so no, no. it would be ridiculous to suggest that there is any unfair political uh, forces protecting his casino license. I love that they think that they can maintain the idea that you can operate, that <laughs> they can effectively enforce a law banning people from getting a casino license in Las Vegas who have organized crime crime connections yes a city that was founded on organized crime (laughs) but so i watched both godfathers because because of this allegation this television channel it had to this television channel had to issue a public apology to adelson then its news chief resigned its news editor resigned its news anchor resigned (laughs) (laughs) i just like to say that I, i would like to apologize to uh Personally, to Mr. Sheldon Adelson and uh, for everything that's been said on this episode. And uh, as soon as this is released, Sean will be resigning. (gasps) Really? The Irish in him can't take it anymore? And so, you know, again, we we can't get to everything Sheldon Adelson has done with his dark money, but it should be noted he uh, ran like $15 million worth of ads supporting Bush's surge in Iraq. So he really does support... uh, U.S. war against Iraq, U.S. war against Iran, anything, you know, to, again, protect Israel's national security or uh, be belligerent against other potential powers in the region. What a fun it, time that was where you would watch commercials and it would be like, <laughs> we should the, honey nut, people. the Honey Nut Cheerio Bee and the surge in Iraq. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're like, well, I wonder what cereals I should buy or, and also what uh, <laughs> war crimes I should the support. Bee, yeah. The Bee tells you. That it agrees with Sheldon. Yeah, we should nuke, drop a nuke just outside of Tehran to show quote, show them we mean business. Tony the Tiger is dropping white phosphorus on the frosted flakes. <laughs> Kids, the flakes are savages. Before we apply the white phosphorus, Lucky's, Lucky's funding malicious. <laughs> Lucky had some experience from the nineties. But so <laughs> funding malicious. Last okay. thing Happy I want St. Patrick's Day. Last thing I want to share uh personally on Shell Nadelson in Iran. Um in two thousand thirteen he was criticized, but he was he was speaking before a discussion at Yeshiva University. Sheldon Adelson in two thousand thirteen said US policy should be quote, you pick up your cell phone and you call somewhere in Nebraska and you say, Okay, let it go. And so there's an atomic weapon that goes over <laughs> ballistic missiles in the middle of the desert that doesn't hurt a soul and maybe a couple of rattlesnakes and a scorpion or whatever. Uh, or whatever. And then he says, if you, Iran, if you want to be a peaceful, just reverse it all and we will guarantee that you can have a nuclear power plant for electricity purposes, energy purposes. So essentially in 2013, he's saying U.S. policy to Iran should be set off a nuke in the middle of Iran and say, if you don't... Uh, drop your nuclear program. We will nuke Tehran next. 
I mean, honestly, like Sheldon Adelson probably prioritizes the life of what was it, a couple of rattlesnakes and a scorpion over the average Iranian. Yes, he went on to say that after this show of force, any threat to also drop a nuclear bomb on Tehran. Um, and and uh, then right after he would be like, well, now that we've got that out, and then he just cut off because the entire world is launching nukes <laughs> because we just launched a nuke at a country for no reason. And um, Adelson, As the nukes going up, he looks at this guy and thinks of his beauty, and he says, Bazinga! <laughs> And Adelson also funds orgs that are, again, to the right of APAG. He funds the um, uh, Adelson Institute for Strategic Studies, <laughs> which, um, and, and just like one more revealing quote from this, you know, of course, they're uh, very belligerent, very hawkish. Um, I'm pretty sure, though, that's just a mobility scooter. So apparently Adelson, uh, this is from the New Yorker, Adelson was dismissive of the son of the former Shah of Iran because um, Adelson said, quote, he doesn't want to attack Iran, unquote. Uh, Adelson referred to another Iranian dissident at the conference more positively, saying he would like to support him because, quote, I like because he says that if we attack Iran, the Iranian people will be ecstatic. So essentially, Adelson supports uh, the dissidents and people who are essentially saying, yeah, you should go to war with Iran. And he doesn't like the son of the former Shah because he does not want to go to war with Iran. Weird that uh, the Twitter presence um, of a country uh, is not representative of the entire country. And that the ones that Americans see are typically more hawkish Uh and uh, align with American international power interests. Well, before we get out of here, um, unless you guys have anything else we didn't get to on Adelson. Miriam got like an award from Trump, and it was clearly bought by the fucking money that he gave the GOP. The Medal of uh, Honor or Freedom or some shit. Medal of Freedom. Medal of Freedom. Fuck her. And I bet Sheldon Adelson doesn't eat ass. Yeah. Calling that. And so Adelson has a peripheral neuropathy since 2001, which is why he has to use the scooter to get around. And then just in February... Oh, well, now you're making me feel bad. In February, 20, <laughs> in February 2019... How do you feel now? In February 2019, the Las Vegas Sands announced that he was receiving treatment for non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. Mm. And I think his lawyer said that he was in, di- in dire health straits. But it should be noted, this was around the time that he was being called for deposition. So it's very possible they were just saying he was in dire health straits to get out of a deposition mm. but they've just settled the case as of two days ago mm. so um he could very well be dying of non-hodgkin's lymphoma mm. probably is I mean, you look mm. at a picture of him today and you're yes, surprised you that he's a alive. man <laughs> in the prime of his life it is like that uh baron uh, herconan yeah it, it looks like his jowls are more mummified than uh some of the uh, items it in the mat. It feels like the Ark of the Covenant, Indiana Jones, the melting face scene, but just like the first few seconds of the face melt. Yeah, it just stopped after yeah. one second yeah, yeah, yeah. of the face yeah. melt. Yeah. He, he looked away. He like peeked at the Ark and it was like, ah, I can't. But, I think it's a couple more seconds than that. Okay. <laughs> but we'll see how the rest of the ongoing lawsuits with Sheldon Adelson shake out. We'll see if his uh, donations to Donald Trump protect him from uh, the federal government and the Department of Justice. And we'll see if he's able to uh, live long enough to see that sweet, sunny sight of a mushroom cloud over Tehran. <laughs> and uh, if he uh, gets his way uh, with uh, John Bolton's help. But um, well, He better not be in Israel because that EMP will probably fuck up a scooter. <laughs> 
Of course, uh, it's uh, hard to do a comedy podcast because our good friend, a comedian, Raghav Mehta, uh, passed away at the age of uh, 31 years old. He's a co-host on our, we can say, affiliate podcast, yep. Poddam America. He was a very funny Sister comedian. Sister podcast. Sister yeah. podcast. Um, and, you know, I really encourage, uh, go back through Poddam America's archives, listen to Raghav. He's great. He's very funny, so smart, and uh, it's very tragic, you know, like, I wanted to do this at the end because I don't really know how to be funny about it because, essentially... We had him on our old podcast where we didn't know how to do podcasting, <laughs> Democracy Later, uh, and we're going to cut it up and maybe release a snippet of that uh, maybe this week as a bonus. Uh, and we just kind of assumed that Raghav would come on Grubstakers, yeah, you sure. know? Yep. You just assume your friend's going to be around forever. And he just, like, a week ago had a profile in Vulture. I was even thinking, like, oh, his star's on the rise up, you know? Right. This guy's going to be, like, big, and I can't wait to, like, see him again and talk to him again. And then you find out that he... That he died, and it's just really devastating. And uh, so, you know, uh, uh, rest in peace to Raghav. But, I mean, one other thing I want to say, and then you guys can say whatever ahead, it is John, you yeah. want to, is Raghav and I have talked, and Raghav, and I don't think I'm speaking out of school about this, Raghav was for a period of his life addicted to, to Oxycontin. And uh, we talked about my brother. My brother's a drug problem ongoing. He's, he's still fighting it. And Raghav was clean for the longest time. And we talked about that, and Raghav, you know, died. We don't know the exact circumstances, but his death, assuming it was an overdose, it was murder. And that's something that really frustrates me, and you can go back and listen to the, the Sackler episode that we did talk about Purdue Pharma and the Sackler family and the deliberate campaign to get Americans addicted to opiates that has killed over 200,000 people. And, you know, my friend is dead, and Purdue Pharma, the Sackler family, Amerisource Bergen, McKesson, uh, Cardinal Health... Um, uh, Johnson and Johnson, all of these companies, they are responsible. And our federal government, the DEA, the um, uh, FDA, they go back and forth from these companies. They leave their government jobs to go work there, or vice versa. Mm -hmm. Nobody's held accountable for the almost quarter of a million Americans are killed by this evil campaign. And it's just so fucking frustrating that that Rogov is not here because you know I I just I want to talk to the guy and see him and and he makes me laugh and smile and just hear about what he is thinking and I can't do that because of what happened and our fucking corrupt government will never hold people accountable for this unless we are out in the streets demanding that they do. What's that, John? Yeah. Uh, I, oh, go ahead. Oh, you're fine. I mean, it's like you know we joke about these people in there. Um, you know, dumbass melting faces, but also they are murdering us. Mm -hmm. Like make no mistake. Like, for profit. For profit. Yeah. The, the average life expectancy in America dropped because yes. of opiates and suicide, which and they are suicide. also playing a part in. And they, you know, made a killing off of it. Uh, and they, I mean, these people, it's, they're not, they're not a benign force in American society. They are an actively malicious force. Um, and that's something that maybe that, uh, I don't know if it necessarily gets lost, uh, in what we're doing, but like it, it just needs to be emphasized that these people, yeah, yeah don't let the bazinga drops fool you. We <laughs> yeah. actually really hate these people. Yeah. <laughs> it's very frustrating because, uh, Raga was, was one of the few people I knew that like did comedy and was East Indian who I didn't think was ever would be a hack, uh, in a, in an industry where people are constantly profiting by, um, exploiting a stereotype Raghav uh, exemplified the anti-that and uh, it sucks to lose him because uh, you regret every time uh, you don't spend time with him and you uh, think what you could do and all that shit but um, 
uh, if you go through his Twitter, ACLU official, oh, yeah, it's great. It, yeah. is, it is uh, an archive of some of the, some of the best tweets from a mind that lost too soon. Mm. And I would just like to say the uh, the last thing Rogoff said to me is, uh, Sean, you're actually totally right, and Andy is wrong about Venezuela. <laughs> and if, if Andy disputes this, he's actually arguing with my last words, which would be disrespect to my legacy. So I'm, I'm um, glad he was able to leave us with that wisdom. Yeah, yeah. I actually, um, this might be the wrong time to Andy, do it. Don't don't disrespect his legacy. But I've been working on this character called guy who makes fun of people for losing their dear friend. Uh. <laughs> what are you gonna cry, nerd? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I just like that Sean got a plug in his fucking eulogy at the end there. <laughs> hey, you can check out these other episodes we did that talk about what we're talking about. All right. I think we're good here. Look, look, Ragov would want us to continue doing our 2,000 listener podcast for free. <laughs> if he was here right now, he would say, you know, I know you guys are sad, but uh, the show must go on and your relentless quest for self-advancement must continue. <laughs> <laughs> I will say one of the one of the funniest things, but actually I, I mean this genuinely is like that a lot of his friends are retweeting this reductress uh, article where the picture is Rogov yeah. and the yeah. headline is uh, "Short man has enormous dick," <laughs> <laughs> and Rogov just has this like great smile. Yeah, yeah. <sighs> Fuck man. Well, anything else to say about our friend? Uh, I, in addition, I only met Rogov like a few times, and as. Yeah, as you can tell by me mispronouncing his name. <laughs> but um it's usually Sean. You know, in addition to him being fucking hilarious, uh he also had an impression on me like as like a fellow DSA member. Yeah. Because uh, yeah. like that guy helped organize thousands of dollars worth of fundraising. Right, he did the show for paid protests. All of our campaigns. Yeah, through paid protests as they mm. call it. Mm. And uh yeah, I mean I'll definitely miss him. Uh, yeah. I wish he was here to get mad at you for mispronouncing his name. Yeah. <laughs> uh. And with that, this has been Grubstakers. I'm Yogi Polywell. Bazinga. I'm Andy Palmer. Uh, I'm Sean McCarthy. Steve Jeffries. And uh, we miss you, Ragov. Uh, rest in peace. Episode about Notch, the guy who made Minecraft. We had a Drake song, and we think he listened to it and reported it, and we had to take it down. But if you replace the lyrics of a song on SoundCloud, it is protected by the Supreme Court as parody because you're creating a new kind of creative work, and therefore they can't. Take your tracks down according to the law. Chapter 1. The Commodity The two factors of the commodity, use value and value. The wealth of societies in which the capitalist mode of production prevails appears as an immense collection of commodities. The individual commodity appears as its elementary form. Our investigation, therefore, begins with the analysis of the commodity. The commodity is, first of all, an external object, a thing which through its qualities satisfies human needs of whatever kind. The nature of these needs, whether they arise, for example, from the stomach or the imagination, makes no difference. Nor does it matter here how the things satisfy man's needs, whether directly as a means of subsistence, i.e. an object of consumption, or indirectly as a means of production. Go fuck yourself, Notch. We found a loophole. 
So you can't get us cancelled I mean, maybe you could if you filed a frivolous lawsuit But, you know, everyone would say you're an asshole And you're already not invited to the billionaire parties Cause you're a weird guy in a fedora Every useful thing, for example, iron, paper, etc may be looked at from the two points of view of quality and quantity. Every useful thing is a whole composed of many properties. It can therefore be useful in various ways. The discovery of these ways, and hence of the manifold uses of things, is the work of history. So also is the invention of socially recognized standards of measurement for the quantities of these useful objects. The diversity of the measures for commodities arises in part from the diverse nature of the objects to be measured, and in part from convention. The usefulness of a thing makes it a use value. But this usefulness does not dangle in mid-air. It is conditioned by the physical properties of the commodity and has no existence apart from the latter. I just would like to apply, apologize to all of our listeners. I thought this would be funnier when I started it, but now it seems pretty dumb. Just to commit to it, so I finish the whole thing. Cause it's still kind of fun to sing like this and get the nitty from Stan. Dear Mr. I'm Too Good to Call or Write My Fans, it is therefore the physical body of the commodity itself, for instance, iron, corn, a diamond, which is the use value or useful thing. This property of a commodity is independent of the amount of labor required to appropriate its useful qualities. When examining use values, we always assume we are dealing with definite quantities, such as dozens of watches, yards of linen, or tons of iron. The use values of commodities provide the material for a special branch of knowledge, namely the commercial knowledge of commodities. Use values are only realized in use or in consumption. They constitute the material content of wealth, whatever its social form may be. In the form of society to be considered here, they are also the natural material bearers of exchange value. Exchange value appears first of all as the quantitative relation, the proportion, in which use values of one kind of exchange for use values of another kind. This relation changes constantly with time and place. Hence, exchange value appears to be something accidental and purely relative, and consequently, an intrinsic value, i.e. an exchange value that is inseparably connected with commodity inherent in it, seems a contradiction in terms. Let us consider the matter more closely. A given commodity, a quarter of wheat for example, is exchanged for X boot polish, Y silk or Z gold, etc. In short, it is exchanged for other commodities in the most diverse proportions. Therefore, the wheat has many exchange values instead of one, but X boot polish, Y silk, or Z gold, etc., each represent the exchange value of one quarter of wheat. Therefore, X boot polish, Y silk, Z gold, etc., must as exchange values be... I'm interrupting myself, cause I didn't time it right, and now this is the last chorus, because it's the end of the song, and so I hope... This was a fun little music gag, and if it wasn't, well, you probably already turned off the podcast anyway. Must as exchange values be mutually replaceable or of identical magnitude. It follows from this that, firstly, the valid exchange values of a particular commodity express something equal, and secondly, exchange value cannot be anything other than the mode of expression, the 
form of appearance of a content distinguishable from it. Let us now take two commodities, for example, corn and iron. Whatever their exchange relation may be, it can always be represented by an equation in which the given quantity of corn is equated to some quantity of iron. For instance, one quarter of corn equals one CWT of iron. What does this equation signify? It signifies that a common element of identical magnitude exists in two different things, in one quarter of corn and similarly in one CWT of iron. Damn. Two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight police officers, but we're making a scene. You guys are filming on $300 phones. If you want to film professionally and you want to get a good scene, a $300 phone. Good equipment and filming. This is a Galaxy S7, buddy. This phone is $900. What's your purpose, bro? 